లవింగ్ సాయిరామ్ అండ్ గ్రీటింగ్స్ ఫ్రమ్ ప్రశాంతి నిలయం ఇన్ మై లాస్ట్ స్టాక్ ఐ స్పోక్ టు యూ మెయిన్లీ అబౌట్ ఆత్మధర్మ యాజ్ అ కాన్సెప్ట్ ఆత్మధర్మ ఇస్ వెరీ ఓల్డ్ బట్ కీపింగ్ ఇన్ మైండ్ ద ఫ్యాక్ట్ దట్ యూ మైట్ బి హియరింగ్ అబౌట్ ఇట్ ఫర్ ద ఫస్ట్ టైమ్ I took great pains to explain it in as much detail as I could. In spite of that, you are perhaps getting the feeling that this Atma Dharma is difficult stuff and not very meaningful for today's world. That is one mistake we just cannot afford to make. To drive home the fact that Atma Dharma is not difficult, Swami says that simple acts that fill our daily life could be made to have a deep relation to Atma Dharma if only we choose. Is this really possible? That is an important question but I shall discuss that later. For the moment, let us hear what Swami has to say next and I quote, If in your daily avocations, you translate the real values of eternal dharma into love-filled acts, then your duty to the inner reality, the Atma Dharma, is also fulfilled. Always build your living on the Atmic plinth, then your progress is assured. End of quote. Let me restate the above quote of Swami somewhat differently. using Swami's own words that are more familiar to us. Does not Swami often tell us, start the day with love, fill the day with love, and end the day with love? That exactly is what the quote I have offered from Dharma Vahini also says. Let us now look at this a little more deeply. Take a simple act like worshipping an idol. This is something that people still do even in this internet age. First let us hear what Swami has to say about that. Listen please. Quote, Making God into stone, that is the effort being made today. How can such effort lead to truth when the real task is to see the stone as God? First, the form of the Godhead has to be meditated upon. and imprinted on the consciousness. Then that form has to be conceived within the stone and the stone forgotten in the process until the stone is transformed into God. End of quote. Basically, what Swami is saying is that one must see God in stone and not make God into stone. This is something we must reflect carefully on. There are two things here, the symbol and the larger concept that the symbol represents. The stone sculpture is the symbol, while God is the fundamental principle. If people are made to think that God is just a stone idol and nothing else, then that can be quite dangerous. A state of narrow-mindedness can develop, wherein the principle is totally forgotten, and one is trapped in not only trivialities, but also in dangerous myths, leading in turn to bigotry, hatred, etc. 
I hope to return to this important point later. But meanwhile, let us hear again from Swami. Quote, In the same way, you have to imprint on your consciousness the basic dharma, the fundamental fact of Atma as the only entity. And then, filled with that faith and vision, you have to deal with the manifold world of objects, its attractions and its impingements. It is only thus that the ideal can be realized. If this is done, there is no danger of the authentic meaning getting diluted or Atma Dharma losing its luster. End of quote. Swami is reminding us that while the Atma is one, it manifests in the universe with incredible diversity. The different entities may appear to have their own distinctive individuality, but in truth, they are all the manifestations of one grand and universal principle. It is to highlight this that Swami often tells us, Cows are many, but milk is one. Jewels are many, but gold is one, and so on. Let's dig a bit deeper and consider the statement, Jewels are money, but gold is one. Suppose, for the sake of argument, the jewels have all been made of copper and simply plated with gold. Clearly, the gold-plated jewels would be worth far less than those made with pure gold. I am sure you will agree with that. In the same way, actions that appear dharmic but are only superficially so would be worthless compared to those based on Atma Dharma. I mean, suppose a man gives charity of say a million rupees merely so that his name appears in the newspapers would that have any spiritual value none at all on the other hand the charity of a hungry beggar who shares his meager meal with another hungry soul is far superior that is the point that Swami is making back again to Swami and let's hear his next quote Quote, what happens when a stone is worshipped as God? The unlimited, ever-present, the all-pervading immanent entity, the absolute, is visualized in the particular, in the concrete. Similarly, dharma which is universal, equal and free, can be spotted and tested in a single concrete act. Do not be misled by the idea that this is not possible. Are not many things difficult that are accomplished by you? Things that only increase your anxiety and fear? If man is wise, can he not take up instead things that are more worthwhile, which would give him peace of mind? End of quote. point that Swami is making is very simple. He says in effect, Listen, the devotee may worship an idol, but the idol is simply a device for the devotee to commune with God who is really infinite. Infinity is a concept difficult for simple folk to grasp. But through loving worship of even a symbol, a devotee's love can blossom enormously. That is the point that Swami is really making. Let us try to understand that a bit further. Say, there is a genuine devotee who sees his God, let's say it's Krishna, in the beautiful idol he worships lovingly and regularly. 
Let us suppose that this devotee offers some sweet dish to Krishna as naivedyam and afterwards shares that lovingly with other devotees as prasadam. The devotee's love for Krishna now spills over to real people, his fellow devotees, and this happens all the time in many different ways. In other words, filled with love for Krishna, the devotee is eager to share his love with others at every conceivable opportunity, filled as he is with compassion for those who suffer. The point simply is that while the worship is supposed to be offered to a so-called lifeless idol, the devotee all the time visualizes something that the idol really represents, namely Krishna, the embodiment of divine compassion, divine love, divine grace, divine security and so on. That is what transforms the devotee. In short, the idol is merely a switch that turns on love and similar virtues in the devotee. Keeping this in mind, let us revisit the quote of Swami that I offered a short while ago about jewels and gold. Basically, Swami says that the general can be seen in the particular and conversely, the particular must become a symbol of the general. Thus, while Atma Dharma, the general, might seem a vague and nebulous concept to ordinary folk, even simple people can understand selfless service, compassion, etc. Therefore, by engaging in loving and selfless acts, such people can, unknown to them, actually practice Atma Dharma. Let us say there is a hungry old woman shivering in the cold. A person appears and out of compassion gives the old woman a blanket and also some hot soup. For her, that benefactor is God himself. In worldly terms, what this old woman sees is merely a human benefactor. However, for that woman at that moment, what the man is giving is also a manifestation of the love and compassion of God. That is what I mean by saying, seeing the universal in the particular. In short, says Swami, don't get turned off by the jargon. Seeing the divine even in simple acts is possible and it's not as difficult as we imagine. Swami adds, you handle and face all sorts of difficult challenges in your professional life and at the end of it, what do you get? You find yourself drowned in anxiety and tension. If you can take on such difficult tasks for mere worldly purposes, why not do something to get more familiar with Atma Dharma, which would take you very far indeed? In other words, if we find Atma Dharma to be a difficult concept, it is simply because we are not spending even a minute to understand it. If the effort is made, the concept is actually quite easy to follow. Let us listen a little bit more. Quote, Therefore, endeavor first to become free. That is to say, as a preliminary to successful living, cultivate faith in the Atma as the core of your personality and then learn and practice the discipline necessary to reach down to that core. With that qualification acquired, you can engage fully in worldly activities following the Dharma prescribed for their regulation. Then you become a moral individual, a Dharma Purusha. End of quote. 
I hope you heard that carefully and locked on to the phrase become free. That is crucial. Freedom is something that all individuals long for. Normally, people want to be free of things that hold them back in daily life. They may feel cramped due to lack of money, lack of a job, lack of a car and material needs and things like that. Or else there could be constraints placed on them by other people. It could be a strict father, a nasty mother-in-law or an equally difficult daughter-in-law, a mean boss, a dictator who is making life into slavery, discrimination of some sort or the other and so on. Young people all the time feel that they are being constrained by parents, elders, teachers and so on and want to do the in thing and what the media proclaims to be the choice of the peers. Yes, this is the way humans everywhere normally react to checks and constraints. These are the facts of life and cannot be dismissed. However, when one is talking of freedom, one is not talking of these things. When Swami is talking of being free, he is referring to something much beyond all these. What Swami is referring to is not well understood and that is what I want to focus on right now. You see, where spirituality is concerned, being free means something very different from what I have been referring to, like being free from a mother-in-law, for example. I know this would be difficult to understand and so let me take you through all of it slowly. Consider a young person who feels heavily constrained and choked by social norms of behavior etc. etc. This young person therefore takes to drugs in order to feel free. Yes, taking drugs does make the person feel high at least for a while and when the person is intoxicated the person does feel he or she is free. But how long does that feeling last? Not very much. And so this person goes back again to the drugs in order to get high. And you know what happens after that. Pretty soon the person becomes addicted and a slave to the drug. Where is the freedom now? There never was any freedom to start with. It was a mere illusion, that's all. What has happened is that the person mistakenly thought he or she was going to be free by doing something, whereas what was really happening was that the person was actually walking into the trap of bondage. If you think about it, there are many things that people hanker after in search of freedom as they see it, be it gambling or drinking or whatever. Ultimately, all these pursuits lead them to some kind of bondage. In turn, this leads to depression and alas, sometimes even to self-destruction. In short, actions that are supposed to set free or be the symbols of freedom so-called actually enslave. This is the honest truth. But then truth is so inconvenient to accept that people tend to rubbish such an analysis. Nevertheless, truth is truth. However unpleasant it might sound to people who do not wish to face it. So, what then is real freedom and what does it really mean to be free? Swami has given the answer to that as clearly as one could. It all starts with a simple fact. A thing is free 
if there is no price to pay or there are no consequences to face. Let's take that as an operational definition. A person could brag, I have a gun and I am free to kill. People actually say such things and they also go out and kill. But then most of them get caught and when that happens, the price that is extracted is heavy. One can give many such examples. And the bottom line is, there is no such thing as a free lunch. You might then ask, if that is so, what then is truly free? What exactly is true freedom? Here is the answer. Freedom is that state wherein the actions that one perform carry no price and do not lead to any painful or undesirable consequences. That is what happens when one follows Atma Dharma. Such an action is in perfect harmony with divinity and there is absolutely no karma attached to it. On the other hand, such actions lead eventually to union with God and therefore permanent bliss. To put it differently, man thinks that yielding to karma, krodha, etc. is what confers freedom. To say, I am free to follow my desires or I am free to get angry when I like, etc. is not true freedom. On the contrary, being free from these six deadly enemies, karma, krodha, etc., that is what is true freedom. And it is only in such a state one is free to act in full accordance with Atma Dharma and such actions alone do not carry a price tag. On the other hand, such actions lead to eternal bliss, freeing one forever from the alternating cycle of pleasure and pain, which is what life is all about. To put it simply, freedom is when one is able to follow Atma Dharma without experiencing the impediments placed by Kama, Krodha, etc. We get a better insight into all this from the next excerpt from Swami. Let us listen to that quote. Swami says, quote, Those who hold the physical objective world as the all of life and the body as the self lead but wasted lives, as meaningless as making God into stone. Making stone into God is the holier, more wholesome task. End of quote. The quote is small, but full of meaning. So, let us try and absorb what Swami is telling us. First of all, there are two entities. The transient world that appears to be very real, and then there is something called true reality, which to all of us appears very unreal. So, there are these two things. The transient that appears very real, ethereal, which seems to be very unreal, but is called true reality. But according to spirituality, it is this other thing that is so intangible, that is actually real. And why? Because it is not transient and it is eternal. Used as we are to living very much in the world and being generally very ignorant about the eternal Atma, that is supposed to be our real self, we do not believe when we are told about the Atma, true reality, etc. We ask all sorts of questions like, what is this Atma? We cannot see it. And even if it exists, it does not seem to be relevant to our daily life. Why then bother? What's the big deal? 
it all seems so very puzzling there is something we see constantly before our eyes and yet it is declared to be unreal on the other hand there is something we never see and yet this unseen is declared to be true reality no wonder it all seems so confusing swami helps us out in the following way he says effectively consider a stone idol that is supposed to represent god is god just an idol or is the idol a mere symbol of god if god is only the idol then god is finite but we know god is not finite he is infinite again the stone can weather and crumble with age due to thermal cycle and what not can god be wiped out by weather obviously not there is thus a difference between seeing god as only a piece of stone and seeing the stone as a representative symbol of god the eternal in a transient world i hope you get the point which is that one must not never confuse the symbol with what the symbol stands for or represents let us now carry over this idea to ourselves you see there are really two aspects to a personality the body and what the body actually represents the body is a symbol and it is the temporary aspect of our personality therefore it's not all that important on the other hand what the body represents is what is very important and what does the body represent it represents the eternal atma that is what is important however because we cannot see the atma we tend to dismiss it totally and instead regard the body to be our true self vedanta says this is not correct yes the body is important and it has been given to us with a specific purpose however the body is not everything at best it is the lower self the atma on the other hand is everything and it is the atma that is the true or the higher self thus to believe that we are merely the lower self is as bad as saying that god is only the stone idol on the other hand we should say the body is there no doubt but that is only a transient aspect of our real self the latter is the atma which if one prefers can also be called the higher self the latter point of view is like saying yes god is in the stone and in that sense the idol is a symbol that represents god however the idol does not exhaust god that is because god is everywhere and always is unlike the piece of stone which would cease to exist when the earth ceases to exist i hope all this helps you to understand why swami says we must see god in the stone rather than the other way about keeping that in mind let us proceed a bit further to quote swami once again he says quote so seeing the atma dharma in every single act of yours transforms it into an act of worship elevates it and removes its binding characteristic if the duties of worldly life are done with no regard to genuine satya and dharma it is as unholy as treating god as stone end of quote this is an interesting quote 
Swami says, just as you have the option of either making God into stone or seeing st- God in stone, so too we can reduce genuine worship of God into d- routine chore, or alternately we can m- even make ordinary work into worship. When we do the latter, we are really following Atma Dharma. That, in essence, is what Swami is saying. The question now becomes, how does one convert routine work into worship? Maybe I shall discuss that later. But meanwhile, I hope I have not entirely lost you today and that you are with me at least part of the way. I know these things are a bit difficult when you hear them for the first time, but we must persist because they are important. See you again next week. Until then, may God be with you. Take care and Jai Sai Ram.